Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I got a very special guest today, Albert Royakers, the CEO and founder of Bedrock Automation. Uh, Albert is uh, well known in the industry, but he is also beyond being just a technologist and an inventor. He's a motorhead. He is a definite outdoorsman, which we'll touch on. And what I really like about is something that he said once. He's a future enthusiast. He's excited about the future. And I think we'll get, I want to circle around to that at the very end. So Albert, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Derek. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, uh, as uh, as I sort of always open it the same way, I liken people that are working on cybersecurity and securing our modern infrastructure, our future uh, tomorrow, as sort of modern day superheroes and all superheroes have a backstory. Uh, where Where does Albert come from? Well, I came from my mother's belly. No, just kidding. I was born at a very young age, a long time ago in Canada. That's where I lived until I was a young, ad- young adult, and then I, I left, and I haven't been back. Yeah, so you from Canada to the United States or somewhere else? No, Canada, um, I, I went to the Middle East. I lived in Saudi Arabia um, for a few years. Then I came to Boston, and um, then I went to uh, California, and then I moved to Japan, lived there for four years. Then I came back to Silicon Valley, and then I'm here. If I understand right, looking sort of into your history, instrumentation, engineering, process control, that's the very beginning. That's even what you, you get, you start, you go to school for that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I went to um, Southern Alberta Institute of Technology to uh, be an instrument head. And that's what I did right out of school. I actually started with the Foxborough Company, which then became, uh, uh, what was it, in uh, Invensys and then, and then now Schneider. So w- with Foxborough, I you know, I spent several years there and uh, went up the food chain and was in sales and applications and um, projects and and, uh, and then management and uh, regional management and so on. That's how I started. And then they sent me off to Saudi Arabia, which I really wanted to go because I Middle East is a fascinating, wonderful place. I was going to ask you, so some of the international travel you referenced was while working for the what became Invincis, that, that chain of companies. That's that's when you were doing that travel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've, because of the projects, the nature of the projects, they were so big and uh, the EPC community around the world would be bidding on these things. So that, you know, put me often in the, in the airplane and, um, you know, to, to Asia, to Japan and uh, Singapore and all over Europe and so on. The companies that were working on these big EPC gas, natural gas and, uh, you know, upstream, midstream projects that were going on in Saudi Arabia at the time. So that was that was really, really fun time. Amazing. Yeah, and that span of years, and I think this is sort of important for best for what you do now, that was 16 years. And so we've got listeners who have been at, let's say they've been at one or two companies for a large chunk of their career, and not to fast forward yet to the to where you are now, but you 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 start something, you're you're a founder mm-hmm. of a company. So yeah. there's people dream of that and they think about that. And I'm always I'm always curious how early does that is that feeling in your mind? You know, we'll, we'll you know we'll get to that soon of where a company, you know, where the birthing comes from, but were you, was that something you were thinking about early on? To to be my to start my own company, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, you know what? I grew I grew up uh, in family businesses. It's not really very romantic. Um, it's a lot of hard work. So I just kind of followed my intuition, you know. Um, and it just happened that for me to do what I really wanted to do with uh, Bedrock, it had to be an independent entity broken away from our parent semiconductor company, and for us to really thrive and innovate at the speed of what's required, um, it was best for us to just start from scratch and, you know, become independent. And it was a very exciting feeling that first day when I'm now like 
I'm, I'm in a, a whole new world and I'm 100% responsible for, you know, trying to build something that was nothing but a, a blank sheet of paper. So, right. yeah. So I was more, it wasn't so much motivated by, um, okay, I'm going to be in my own company. It was more, I know that this was going to, what's going to be required to get this done. We're going to come back and obviously talk a lot about how that transition happened and, and, and what you're doing today. You went on, then you left. Uh, well, actually, you, you referenced something. So I always ask people this. I forgot to ask you. Early work, you you worked in a family business, uh, I think. Yeah. And so that was that was your first exposure to you know work or a job. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a kid, you know, growing up in Canada. When I was really young, we my dad um, had, of all things, a zoo. We had and my dad was a real naturalist. And uh, so we had animals, hundreds and, of animals. And we were trying to get into the zoo business. But you ain't getting rich or even supporting your family when you're feeding 2000 other animals besides your kids. And it was not a good thing. It didn't end well, but that went on for quite some time. And then we we uh, started a garage, an auto record kind of garage thing, which went on for a few years. And so I was running that by the time I was 16. Because uh, for you know reasons outside the scope of this call, but yeah, so had to figure out how to bootstrap myself while I was going to high school and working in the evenings in a restaurant where uh, my mom was the manager of the hotel, and so I was just a crazy little freaky little workaholic trying to do well at school and and uh, run a business and uh, wait on tables all at the same time. So that's kind of was part of my DNA. And then I left home when I was um, just turned eighteen. I left my home. Left home on my own, went out, went out west in a pickup truck that I paid cash for, built a house in the back of it and lived in it for a better part of two years. And then went back to college. I was going to plan. I wanted to get actually in med school of all things. I wanted like bi- biometrics and robotics and thought medical school was the plan. But I wanted to build, get some money and buy a house and rent it out so I could afford school and all this stuff. And it never really materialized that way. I ended up, you know, wiggling and waggling my way back to college in, in Alberta. In, in instant into instant instrumentation and process control. So and those were, those are weird weird and wonderful years. <laughs> yeah, I bet, and, and and we could talk a whole session about that sort of that yeah. those really early early journey. And uh, you referenced earlier about sort of the the illusion that entrepreneurship or owning a business is all fun and you know fun and games. And you knew early on that it's it's also hard hard work. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. But it's so rewarding. And, and I mean, these have been the best years of my life, uh, starting Bedrock and then having having this clear vision for solving the cyber problem by completely redesigning it. And we can uh, we'll probably go into that a little bit later on as this, yeah, we're going to. how it manifested. But then to see it materialize. And I'm also the CTO. So I started as a CTO. And so we wrote all the patents or worked with all the engineers to write the patents and, d- and do all the architecture and design and, uh, you know, define the chip designs because we, we built the chips inside the box. We built the box. We built all the mechanical stuff. We 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 built, you know, the pinless backplane. So we had to define and design uh, inductive coupling for high speed power and high speed coupling and many, many, many challenges all the while, you know, addressing this uh, cyber to build something that was really nation state defense. And and we had an objective. We said, okay, this is going to be the most secure technology of its kind in the world. And so how are we going to do that? And one of the obvious things that we had to solve was the supply chain. So we had to build our own factory. So we were designing a factory and the testers and the tools and, and all that stuff inside the actual 
product design team and we had like a 200 square foot factory that was right in the middle of the design floor because we were designing the met the tools and the text technologies to build the system while we were designing the system it is like the most comprehensive learning experience imaginable and uh, being at the center of it has just been a riot you know and now it's out there all over the place doing really cool things for cool people well let's talk about the jump then so you go from invensys to maxim and you alluded to it, but, but there's a connection between Maxim and Bedrock. So what's the yeah. jump from Invensys to Maxim? Uh, that was uh, because we were uh, trying to, I, I designed the, this uh, DCS, it was the Foxborough DCS system at the time. We did this major redesign. And I, again, it was my ideas. I proposed it to the CEO and CTO of, of uh, Foxborough Invensys at the time. and said, you know, we could do a better job. So they recruited me into design and engineering. So I ended up running the, the development team that was, uh, redesigning DCS. And we did that. And then as part of that, I, I understood that, you know, semiconductors, the component level, uh, massive monolithic integration and using the embedded tools or the ideas that were uh, starting to emerge around semiconductors. So I went to all the major semiconductor companies to, with some specifications and one of which ended up meeting the founder of Maxim. And we got along instantly and he recruited me away from it. And I wa always wanted to go to Silicon Valley because of, you know, the reputation that, that uh, prevailed it. So I moved my family and uh, got into semiconductors. And then within a year, they sent me to Japan, which I also really wanted to go because I was also fascinated with the Japanese culture and zero defect and other things. So I went there and ran the Japanese operations for Maxim, spent about four years there and then came back. And started uh, new technologies and M&A group. Or, and uh, from that, all of these things came together where I realized some of the semiconductor technologies and zero defect design and ideas, all of this could come together and design the perfect, quote unquote, a perfect automation system for the next, you know, 25 to 50 years. So that's that's how it, it and then it convinced uh, Maxim to, you know, throw all this money at it and all these ideas. And we did it. I want to talk about this maxim to bedrock, you know, and, and like mm -hmm. you said, it was, you, you felt it needed to be on its own, how that's done and how somebody that's sort of a unique circumstance, but it's maybe something that someone else could follow in your footsteps somewhere else and propose to a company yeah. to take innovation sort of out, you know, uh, yeah. still a relationship. And I'm, I'm interested how that's defined, but Hey, we need to go out and do this independently. I'll notice your, your idea of wanting to move to Silicon Valley resonated with me. I moved uh, one of my startups there in 2006. And so we were there at the same time. I lived up in San Mateo. If you, did you live down in San, in San Jose? Uh, yeah, in uh, Sunnyvale. In Sunnyvale. Okay. Well, we were yeah practically neighbors. I moved from San, San Mateo to, to Foster City and lived out there oh, for yeah. about eight, eight years. So you're, you've got this. What is the – so go, going back to the kernel of an idea and mm -hmm. then and – then, What's, how does it spin out or subsidiary or what, what you know, I, I'm curious how that worked. So a lot of companies, um, you know, medium and large companies, they're always looking for different ways to um, foster innovation. Right. And uh, so each company may have a slightly different formula for it. But there's, you know, spin in models, spin out models, uh, you know, think tanks. Um, sometimes it's CTO organization where they'll have these incubators and all kinds of different models like that that try to find you know the curious and, and aggressive uh, minds inside the company that might get frustrated by a more structured larger corporate culture and say hey i want to do something so of course silicon valley is just um, i mean that's the essence of the culture and uh, essence yeah. of the valley so it's probably easier there but i don't know what the large medium culture company culture is like sort of you know generally speaking but 
I think that uh, for, for, the, for the people out there listening to this, if you have an idea, whatever it may be, and it may uh, directly or tangentially relate to the company that you're in, uh, which is a pretty decent chance because that will that's you know you'll have a certain amount of skill set to that. You just find the business organization, find the the manager that you can just pitch it, and then you know with passion and logic and analysis, you know either someone's going to say that's a really good idea, or they're going to tell you you're that this is crazy because you're not thinking of all these other things, and they'll help you, or they'll or you'll be motivated to go someplace else, but. Follow your your passion. I do not regret for a moment taking that gamble and just making something happen. So, just do it is the is the key. So, and, and a lot of companies will be responsive to this. I really do believe that. Uh, I've it's happened for me. I've only been in a few big companies, but I mean, I just had the passion to say, "Hey, look, I got a really good idea, and this is why. And here's here's the problem I want to solve, and here's the benefit to you." And um, I've always had a really good support in my career. And so that fork in the road, was it? did you consider it all or was it considered to keep it in-house and have it just be another product? It's like, no, it's different enough. It's not what yeah. we did. Is that it, yeah, this, this, that one was a fairly easy one, although okay. there was a substantial amount of uh, semiconductors, silicon design ideas and techniques. So, so it, there was a sort of a mutually beneficial idea there. And so we we did use a lot of the uh, strengths of, of the designers and the technologies that were inside of Maxim to be the foundation of this design. So, you know, everyone was learning from it, but but this this it's not cheap. If you design a control system and then design a factory and do it all at the same time and design the semiconductors, you gotta get have deep pockets and, and you gotta be brave. So I, I can can never understate and the appreciation I have for you know my parent company um, and the, the executive management that said go for it. That's awesome. And and that- yeah, Maxim recently got you know merged with Analog Devices, which is an even bigger company right here in Boston, where I am now. So I ended up just recently moving my family back to Boston because our parent company is now ADI. And uh, and again, we're just beginning to you know learn the relationship and the culture because I was you know um, also like 12 years at Maxim. So, but they're also very supportive and. And like any big company, they're full of smart people, smart engineers, and they're looking at what we're doing and say, wow, this is really cool. So, so this is summer of 2013 is, is when, when this starts to come together? Yeah, I think we might have incorporated in 12, 2012. Okay. I started working on it in 2010. I got, once again, sort of pissed off, if that's the, you know, the right way, when really the, the Stuxnet you know, and that whole concept that that the system a system could be so uh, vulnerable, and you know, we go back to some of your in this conversation. Maybe we'll talk about sort of the genesis of some of the ideas. But uh, to me, it was there's a there's an existential threat if the digital age can be so beneficial and yet so uh, vulnerable. And so, I thought, okay, I'll bet you I could solve this if. If uh, just sit down and think about it for a while. And that's kind of the the seed of it. It's like, okay, I want to prove a point to myself and others that, hey, uh, we can figure this out. So um, that's that's secure by design from day one is one of the cornerstones of this, of of what your your inspiration was. Right. Which is. Yeah, it's it's even more fundamental than that. If you think about automation, the whole the whole digital era of it, which is probably 40 years old now. The, the control system domain is is like, say, a, a control system, DCS or PLC, uh, and a safety system. And, and these systems, 
had varying scales of capabilities around availability, reliability, and safety, right? And and safety systems, you had SIL 2 and 3 and 4. Uh, high availability systems like DCS, you have single dual modular redundancy. So you bought a system or you installed a system based on the requirements and that you would turn it on and it would do its thing. And you knew that a safety system was going to, you know, when you had to press that shutdown button, that was always going to be there. And the same with any other kind of system. Now, now comes cyber and cyber basically violates the premise of automation. You can no longer guarantee the safety of the process and the people because cyber affects all of these systems. And the failure mode is no longer definable and controllable and maintainable. It's abstract. It's infinitely variable because it's software. So now these systems can't no longer do what they were supposed to do. And we've we've sort of violated the, the trust and compromised all infrastructure. Now, until we can go back to the basics and say that a system that is supposed to control in either a PLC, DCS, RTU or safety model can exist in the digital world and not be digitally compromised and can be cyber secure instead of insecure, then we have a problem. And that problem is one of the most substantial existential threats to, to society. I mean, the, the threat vectors, and I don't want to sound, you know, doomsday not because I, I, I'm not, I, I believe in a very positive future, but, you know, your water can be shut off, your, your electricity can be shut off. Um, these are simple doomsday phenomenon that, that we know nation states and weird people um, are plenty willing to, to implement. And you don't want to wake up one day and there's no electricity and no internet, no refrigeration, no transportation, other things. It, it'll just destroy the, the fabric of society overnight. And we can easily solve this problem, as I've proven that I think this is a problem that needs to be solved and is solvable. So now it's at the highest levels, of course, politically, technologically, economically. But uh, my point is, hey, we can solve it here. You can solve it in a simple way with advanced techniques. and the other key part of this is I wanted to prove that we can build things in America. We can build things on our home turf. We can bring technology back. We can in, reinvent the factories, reinvent the way things are made and kind of come at this in a real, you know, happy, happy, yay, you know, save the world, super, superstar kind of way. And that, that's those are the points. And so it would take us at least the rest of this podcast and more to explain how we did it and and how we are absolutely confident that a we can build uh, embedded systems that are intrinsically secure and can be defended against in, in virtually any possible circumstance and b we can build the talent and the tools and the technologies and the factories right here in the usa you know keep the jobs here keep the technology here keep the ip here and uh and be on top of the world in this in this way and that's a whole shovel load i just gave you Does that well, make yeah. sense? It's a lot. There's so many threads that can be pulled there. I mean, uh, you know, this, the, the part you were ending on with all the concerns about supply chain, it's music to my ears. You know, this concept that we know where the parts came from and we know where we made them and we know what's inside. That's that's pretty, pretty critical stuff. Couldn't uh, agree more. Going to play more and more uh, of a vital, a vital part. And that's a pretty cool part of your message. I'm curious if you were to go back and talk to yourself right at the uh, point of the genesis of this. Is there anything, if you were sitting down with uh, Albert in 2012, as you say, or 2010, when you start working on this, um, anything you would you would counsel yourself or do differently? If there's, you know, I'm thinking again of people out there that are, I've got this great idea, and and you don't have to 
there's more than one model to, to bring it to life. You could go out, totally take all the risk and go out on your own. Although if it's very capital intensive, as you pointed out, that could be very challenging. So this really cool idea about doing something, uh, you know, as part of maybe where you already are, but but break, you know, breaking it out and, and spinning it out, if you will. Is there anything you'd go back and tell yourself like, oh, knowing what I know now, here's what here's something I would do differently when going about that. It's a potentially million dollar question there. Um, yeah. Advice, you know, advice at that stage. And, and, and maybe it'll come to you later. I mean, just I can move on. But I sometimes, uh, you know, if that jogs yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. I would say that that uh, this industry, um, the decision process, when you're up against, I mean, we're literally going against the the titans, you know, and the industry yeah. has 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 become five big companies around the world that control it all. So pushing change uh, is hard, and and even if you you know we go to customers and users with these incredible ideas and they're all excited and yeah, that sounds good. But it still takes so long for for their business model to change and for decisions to happen that uh, one is to build the technology and the other is to ensure growth and that you can be profitable and succeed. And lots of ideas, you know, die um, in the final stages if you don't have a very disciplined uh, and aggressive business plan that's um, in parallel with the technology plan. So we do, I think, and we're you know we're we're feeling the success of it, but it's really hard. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate. So I probably would have tried to sleep a little more and pace myself, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have quite as much gray hair. I don't know. But it's yeah. don't underestimate uh, <laughs> how hard it is to change a market. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That um, I had a startup that was in the in this space, one of the, the first one of the first monitoring tools. And it was early. And the sales cycle was fundamentally much, much longer than we than we had anticipated. And so as you talked, I sort of had my own memories of like, wow. It, I, I wish we'd had known or had the mindset of it could be a year, uh, you know, not uh, we'll, we'll show them this great thing and they'll want to buy it and it'll be in there next week in an operating plan. Um, and so, you know, you're 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 talking about Greenfield, right? I mean, people would be would they be adopting this in a Greenfield? We're building a plant of the future. And, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, we're doing we're doing some of that. A lot of it's brownfield because a lot of automation is brownfield, especially when you're trying to do cyber security upgrades. Um, but yeah, across verticals, across industries, across um, project types, we've got we've got it everywhere. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Talk about mm-hmm. team. We we talk sometimes on the show about the power of relationships and maintaining and building those, and how important uh, other people that you surrounded yourself with. How important has that been in your journey? That's really important. I'm lucky that that I have you know smart friends and and high caliber people and there, you know, we're, we're, we've been, we've been sticking together through this. Uh, so, you know, it, it's the, the team is what makes it. No, no person climbs this mountain this big by themselves. Uh, so we can recruit really talented people and and we have in engineering and operations and, you know, in sales and marketing and, and, and all that. So the, the core team, the core founding members, and the team are still together from day zero. And we've been able to, recruit top town without it you know it's such a a learning lesson for me to be you know the ceo to be responsible for all these different organizations and understand you know corporate governance and uh and finance and and all that as well as technology and sales and customer service and uh you know operation oh my god it's it's just it's just fantastic learning all these things but but you can't do it by yourself so 
you've got to get people around you. I mean, if you're an artisan and you're, you know, you can do something because you're magically talented and, and uh, you can do it with by yourself with small people, you know, God bless you. But um, building a company or building an idea that's going to make an impact, you better learn how to, how to deal with uh, all kinds of people and be able to attract the best and brightest and keep them there. It's something interesting in there. You said that the, that the sort of original, brain trust is still intact. That's not often the case. Is there anything you'd attribute that to? Because some great people still don't stay together. It's 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 not common for someone to say what you said. Uh-huh. Why do you think that's the case? Why why is that original brain trust still together? You know, it's it's probably all the beer. <laughs> Intellectual lubrication. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It's no it, we're you're the really good people, you you've got to make sure that they they want to be challenged and that they can see uh, it's hard to have a job where you where you're playing a role and then you see the tangible results so quickly. So I think uh, everyone's proud of what we're doing and and we're the 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 underdog, the David and Goliath thing. And and there's no elixir more powerful than success. And success is every step of the way. You know, are the designs successful? Are the ideas successful? Are the patents successful? Are the products successful? And the product is the software, the hardware, the firmware, the semiconductors, the mechanicals, the electromechanicals. Um, so there's so many places for someone to grab something and say, ah, see, I was a part of that. Look at this. It's done. This document's done. This design is done. Look at these beautiful things. Maybe this is less important than I think it is. But for me, really good technology moves beyond technology and in it, in, in, in its art. And if you look at the car, like say, uh, I don't know, maybe a Tesla or something or or the car that's so much better than the others. It's not just that it's a car. Most cars do exactly the same as others. It's beautiful. Like something about it is gorgeous. A phone, you know, mobile device, you think about the Apple formula. It's it's not it's not technology. It's art. And in the software and in the, you know, the whole the form factor, everything, you have to have a wow and emotional impact. To, and so we tried. We try, and I think we succeed. If I don't know, you probably had your hands in our products, and you see how it works. Every last little detail, everything. It's not okay. We're going to make something. No, even when you were designing a label, it's like the colors, the geometries that make it beautiful. So you can look at a hundred different PLCs or hundred DCS, and you look at this and say, "Holy crap, that's beautiful." This brings an emotional response in people and your employees as well. So they want to. People want to build something that's really, really cool. And that's a really important, understated fact, you know. It, so we try to do that in everything. It's got that beautiful thing, and that's what makes people interested in it. I love it. That's cool. Uh, the the user experience is what I heard there is uh, top of mind. And you named some companies that nailed that, right? They they weren't the first, you know, the devices to hold music. Apple didn't create that concept, but they yeah. were the first to make it to make it uh, to make it beautiful, and 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 not just physical beauty, but usability, yeah. uh, everything yeah. you're talking about. So I, I love that. And saying an industrial system or frankly, lots of systems should be that way. Many of them aren't, but, but that, that, that was part of your inspiration. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's the user experience, you know? And, and so for someone that's using automation, if they pick it up, if they use it, the hardware, the software, they see that the ease of use, we solve fundamental problems uh, that instrument techs and electricians and automation engineers and managers and operators. And so they say, holy shit, they thought of this. God, that's been bugging me forever. Or, or look at this, right? And I mean, that's the thing. We want someone to just look at this product, pick it up and say, 
holy wow and 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 I can tell I can't tell you we kind of laughed at it that so many times we presented presentations hundreds and hundreds of times we presented this product and that we get through this pitch or we tell them what it does and 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 it's wow we hear this all the time hundreds of times maybe not so much anymore because um, people aren't wowed <laughs> but no but it's true it's if you look at something and it's a wow factor you now have an emotional response to it so what the hell you got an automation engineer an instrument tech. And he's going to have to deploy something. Why not have him take it out of the box and say, "Wow, right? What the hell? Make it, make it cool." And that's yeah. that's what we that's what we propagate everywhere. Yeah, I, I love it. And I know it's based on make it make it meet all of its goals and be awesome engineering and the yeah. the cool. There's stuff out there that looks cool, and you know we both know behind the scenes that's a great. But if you're you know if something's really really good but not presented in that way. Those also yeah. haven't, haven't changed the world. Exactly. I love exactly. your vision. Yeah. yeah. You know, you think about things you've just shared and where you are now and what you're trying to do. Anything early, you know, what do you think along your journey prepared you for, for, for this? I mean, clearly some of it is early formatively, you know, as a kid, you, you saw being responsible for something and that, that carries forward today. Is anything else at those companies in the interim steps um, experiences that people um, could seek out in their current company to help them prepare for this. Because we have people at all stages of the career listening to the podcast and coming to our sessions. There's people early on. They're not be ready to jump to what you're talking about today, but they may say, oh, that would be, I'd love to be able to bring something to life someday. What kinds of things should they seek out? I mean, you you, you traveled internationally. You worked on projects from a, a, a project development standpoint. You worked in sales. Is that, I mean, it looks like your role today probably pulls on that. The fact that you had a varied experience. Probably. I think you're right. I mean, I, I probably had kind of a unique uh, experience in life to get me to where I am. It is probably you have to seek out the problems like you've got to look for the people that say no. you got to look for the things that are broken. You can't fool yourself. You know, I'm constantly looking for the next thing that isn't right. And uh, and I try to keep out of my own you know, mental comfort zone and say, oh, I'm so cool. I'm so good. This is all so good. Yabba dabba do. Well, that's the first thing that happens for someone kicks you in the teeth. You have to be ready. You have to find the problems, find the negatives, find the naysayers, find the things that aren't right. Deal with the difficult employees, deal with the issues that aren't that aren't exactly right and fix them or have them break you. And And if you break yourself a tiny bit, like you're annealing your soul, uh, you're going to get a little harder, like maybe you lose a person or maybe someone gets pissed off at you or or a customer um, makes you realize you're you're an idiot. But you've got to you've got to go after the negative because that's your job and and make sure that you can survive it every time. It's like no matter how hard the problem is, you know, you sometimes have been in calls or, you know, something just like, oh, my God, this what a what a shit storm this is. And then you say, OK, well. This is good. This is good. I mean, it's a problem. This is good, man, because the bigger you are as you grow through these, these problems are going to grow. And if you can't deal with the little ones, you're never going to deal with the big ones. And 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 you're just going to learn how to Zen it all out and 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 figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, you've got to understand where your limits are. You say, oh, man, I, I just can't. Figure it. There's no way this is too big a problem or this guy or this gal is better at this than I am. Then you better get them involved in the middle of it. And, you know, take responsibility for every problem and share every success. Right. That's a 
sort of a human philosophy that only time and wisdom and intellect will will help you develop. I think we're done, Albert. We can go ahead and end the podcast. That was it. <laughs> that was gold. Uh, we're not done, but but that was gold. You know, and I'm looking. I, I always sort of say I'm mining for gold in these, and it, you guys never fail. Uh, it's such a such a great group of guests, and you're just adding to this. That was gold right there. And the human condition is to move away from pain and challenge. And you said go towards it, embrace it. That that's a big deal to think about that uh, for people yeah. to say, oh. I, I, I want things to be nice. I want everything to be simple and maybe gravitate towards that. But it doesn't it doesn't grow you. So if you're earlier yeah. in your career, whether you're anywhere. But obviously, if you've got more career ahead, the more you seek some of the problems out and figure out how to resolve them. And you touched on it. It's it's also about communication. Right. It's yeah. You might it might not always gel with with some people, the team or a certain employee or whatever. But working through that part of the problem too, the human part of any of these problems uh, is is huge and 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 so even small challenges can be built upon and so seek out a challenge is what I heard there seek out something that's not going to be necessarily comfortable but man oh man a growth opportunity yeah and you know you may not be cut out for it right it depends on on it depends on the person that's listening to this or you know you'll look at yourself in the mirror and be honest with yourself yeah. what what degree of torture are you willing you know emotional uh, psychological physical financial torture are you willing to subject to yourself to some people just don't or it's just not wired that way and that's okay it's perfect that's perfectly fine but again I you know you're questioning me or you're look we're, we want to sort of have a dialogue here where someone that's listening to this uh is going to capture different things from this and the people that are out there said geez you know I I think I could do something like this well, you better be ready for it you know and uh and 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 be ready to just constantly evolve and and run toward the problem and figure out how to fix it fail fast right fail fast be honest with yourself figure it out you know it's it's root cause and corrective action and get to it quickly is it safe to say also as far as ready it's ready at different things that you started it was all about the product and cto and you evolved you became the ceo later Sort of only uh, because we couldn't do everything all at the same time. But I really I was really hoping that somehow the challenge would come to me where once I got through the core thing, which is the technology, we got to get the technology off the ground because that was the biggest challenge and then start to define the channel and the marketing and the messaging and then, you know, the business side of it. So I was lucky enough that through uh, circumstances and others that I was able to evolve into that role. And I was very anxious to happy to do that because again that puts me outside of my comfort zone and uh, and I can't blame anyone but myself if if this thing you know explodes so was that your so that was your vision early on you're like I, I want to build this thing and I'd like to be at the helm and so you yep. you move through that process yep absolutely so that is that is cool and you were product centric from the get-go and that's where it all started yep I think so identify the problem solve it so that's that's a that's a walk away what are you excited about you know, you, you said early on, you told me when we were talking before um, about uh, being a, a future enthusiast. And I picked up on certainly some aspects of that as you talked today. What are you excited about the, the, the future? Oh, my goodness. We really have a chance uh, in the, the, you know, human evolution where we are, not just like evolution as, as a creature, but I mean, societal and intellectual evolution, spiritual evolution of the human, the human experience. We're either going to figure this out and, and go to a brave new world kind of thing or, you know, or not. And I believe in, in the, we are. 
there's a little analogy. I just used this on Friday. I was, you know, I, I talking about this, about this, the idea of how change is, is changing, how change changes. And, and you, you probably heard this before, but I'll just do the short version. But you take a piece of paper and you fold it over, right? And you fold it once and then you fold it twice. And, you know, it's still pretty thin. It's a piece of paper. So how thick do you think this paper is if you folded it 50 times? It'll be your guess. Just curious. Oh, gosh. 50 times? Is it? Is it? I don't even know. I mean, it's it's definitely thicker, but it's. Try it. Just give me your wildest guess. 50 times. Is it an inch? 100 million kilometers thick. That's the exponential nature. If you fold that 50 times? Just fold this 0.01 millimeter piece of paper 50 times and it's 100, millime- 100 million miles thick. Sorry, 100 million kilometers thick. Fold it 100 times and it's thicker than the width of the known universe. Whoa. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's easy. It's just math, two to the two to the fifty. It's like remember the old t- fable. Uh, uh, you put a piece of rice on a on a, a checkboard or a chessboard, and then you know double it. So two pieces of rice, then four, then eight, then sixteen. And by the time you get to the forty second square, you have more rice than all of the rice that have ever been produced uh, for you know it's several thousand billion or several thousand billion trillion tons of rice. Um, so it's the exponential nature. It's when things are doubling and change is happening. When anything goes exponential, when a virus, you know, uh, expands exponentially, then it things people experience life in a linear way. But when things go uh, nonlinear, uh, it, it's hard for people to comprehend. And what's really interesting is modern people, modern adults, have experienced this more so than any other time in human history. We've experienced the internet. Right. We've experienced mobility. These are exponential changes. The first time the word Internet ever uh, was uttered in The New York Times was 1995 or 1996 or something. And that's I mean, we were we're, we were there. We were adults in 1995. Probably most people that are on this call were certainly adults at the time. And now you're talking about trillions and trillions of nodes and and billions of miles of connectivity and and. Trillions of dollars, and this is just in 25 years. So it, it went exponential, and and but we didn't realize it. We no one would have said there'd be a trillion nodes in 20 years. Everyone thought you were absolutely insane. But now that there's trillion and trillions more coming, we just experience it in a linear way. So having said that, as that model, you know, uh, there's multiple nonlinear things going on because of technology that are affecting uh, humanity. Much of it is around energy. So you'll see massive transitions around energy, uh, transportation, and how energy will be used for agriculture and all other things. So so that's why there's no better and more freaky time to be alive than right now. And at the end of it, we should have a sustainable economy. We should have sustainable energy. We should be able to provide the fundamentals for every single person on earth access to education energy you know food and uh, and the economy and an ecology that works so this is the time where where we can actually put all these pieces together and that's what's really really exciting i think in the in the next 10 years you'll see more change than has happened in the last 100 years and god knows what's happened in the last 100 years so where are we going to be at the end of it and i think that that it's all going to change for the good. It's certainly going to be bumpy along the way, and we can feel it. We feel this unrest. We feel this uneasiness, you and I and everybody we know, 
with this COVID economy and uncertainty and politics. Another thing else, it feels weird. It feels uncomfortable. A lot of people, me included, say, remember when it was like the different kind of reality. I can't even get across the border to see my family, you know, in Canada because of the restrictions. And uh, my mom was dying and I couldn't even see her because I couldn't get across the border. So like that kind of experience, this, this, this sort of weirdness and uncertainty, it's part of the part of the agents of change. And we're in the middle of it. It's not going to go away. Now, COVID will go away. We'll solve this stuff like we'll solve the next and the next. But the sense of uneasiness, the sense of constant, constant change, we have to figure it out and be a part of it. And I think we will. It's the, it's the human condition. So that's what I mean. I can't remember what your original question was, but, um, you know, that's why. Oh, that's why I say I'm very excited and very positive about the future. If you don't, you, you want to go hide in the cave or, you know, jump, jump off a bridge or something. Forget it. That's not the way that we're so lucky. We're so lucky to be where we are and what's going on. And uh, these problems are all solvable more now than ever, ever in human history. So there you go. Well, How's that for another shovel full? That is a that is the best answer to that question, which I, you know, I'm not taking away from the other uh, other participants in this uh, series. But that was a great, great answer. Um, <laughs> I loved it. Use that um, trick in your kids. Ask them, you know, I'm going to fold this paper 50 times. Uh, I'll, I'll you think you'll be answer to that. We, which we'd rather have a penny doubled for 30 days uh, or a million dollars. And people go for the million bucks, like, oh, you, you missed out. It's funny, the thickness of the paper, I didn't think about it, but the exponential nature of it, it's the same. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a little bit of a trick because you'll, you, you, most people say, Alba, give me a penny every day, you know, double it, and I'll be super rich. But it happens in, in all, you know, first principle ways, that when, when the doubling effect. So, you know, and, uh, yeah, go get <laughs> Don't get me started, Derek, or, uh, you know, we could talk for hours and hours. I mean, this this is what I, I fill my 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 life and my days, my days with, you know, like uh, last night we uh, I've got, as I told you, I have, I have eight kids. Three of them are, you know, bigger, older, wonderful and uh, I have five smaller ones at home. And last night we we watched um, the science of bubbles. And uh, and oh, you got to watch that. You got to go check it out. Google it. You'll see it's a really wonderful thing. But. I sit on the couch and, you know, with my younger children and we watch, a, you know, a science program on bubbles. And uh, and there's so much science and math in there um, and so much coolness. And they're, you know, getting a young kid excited about the mathematics and the physics uh, in a bubble is a pretty cool thing. And uh, and so that's that's the kind of stuff that I try to just stay focused on, um, you know, and we. I've got a, 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 a sort of a contest with the kids to see who can memorize the entire, um, you know, uh, uh, elements, the periodic table elements. So that's, you know, little funny, really cool things you can easily do with yourself and with the people you love to make it, you know, fun and, and positive and progressive. And that's all part of the solution. You, you just you just got to stay stay at it and, you know, and, and uh, go for go go along for the ride. So at any rate, what's the next question? We are wrapping up. And that, what, that was a great way uh, to sort of end. And it's to me, it all comes together. I mean, your, your vision and passion for what you're doing with uh, Bedrock is not not dissimilar, or disconnected from what you just shared. You, you want to, you know, your your passion for changing the future and doing something you know differently and working with all the emerging sort of truths of, of our current age uh, and bringing all that together in one place. Um, it's exciting. I'll be delighted to uh, to continue to see how this bedrock journey plays out and 
and thank you for being uh, you know a partner of uh, of our Workforce Development Association, and that's that matters a lot to us, and we're excited to have you guys as part of that too. My pleasure. Now it comes to my favorite part of the show when I borrow from another show, which borrowed from another show, so I feel like I'm not ripping anybody off. So I always like this show called Inside the Actors Studio. It may still be running. It ran for decades with the host James Lipton, who who has passed on, and the greatest actors and actresses uh, of our time on his stage. And he always ended the show with what he called the Pavot questionnaire, which, as it turns out, was borrowed from a French show. I think maybe going back to the 30s um, or the 50s, but a long time ago. And so he used it. And so it's the same questionnaire that he used and that they used and that I'm using with you. And that's how we sort of end the show, uh, just to give another another sneak peek into uh, into you, into who you are. Are you ready? Okay. Yes, I'm ready. What is your favorite word? Peace. What is your least favorite word? Liar. What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I love hanging out with my kids and, and trying to pretend I'm in their mindset and have a conversation with them. And don't I talk to my kids like, like they're adults and they talk to me like I'm a kid. And that's just, that's just hilarious. What turns you off? It turns me off. Mean people. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> If you're willing to share it. Fuck. Come on. That is the common winning winning curse word, by the way. Oh, it's such a beautiful word. Have you, have you ever seen the the, the uh, YouTube video, fuck the fucking fuckers before the fucking fuckers fuck you? No, I haven't, but I'll have to look it up. Oh, it's, a, it's beautiful. It explains the whole history and the power and the beauty of that word. So I'll send it to you. All right. All right. I'll add it to my, my education for the week. Um, okay. Sound or noise do you love? What what sound or noise do I love? Yeah. You know, I, I used to really love when my kids were little babies when they were crying, when they would, you know, uh cry in the middle of the night or something like that, like that sound that because you knew that you could just go there and, you know, comfort them. That was that was pretty I know it sounds crazy because oh, crying baby. Ah! But no, I, I there's just such a, 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 a fundamental sort of guttural thing. But the other thing is I have a house up in Canada on the ocean and we, we go up there and the whales, there's always whales out there. So when you hear a whale break or when they're breathing, uh, it's just a, it, it's just it's mind blowing. So I'd say that was that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'd like to be a, a chicken farmer. What profession would you not like to do? A mortician. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job. All right. Thank you, Albert Roy Akers, the founder and CEO of Bedrock Automation. What a awesome, very short journey uh, with you on this podcast. Um, I would, <laughs> could go longer. We both want to have dinner, but we could go, uh, I'm assuming, a few more hours easily on a number of the things you scraped the surface of. I'm excited about your, your future and, and the future of Bedrock and love your vision. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Derek. Take care now. Take care.